Let it go out, Lord, as um, a sword that cuts away what needs to go. And the word of the Lord will go out and not return void. The Bible promises it will accomplish that which is sent forth to do. We thank you, Lord, for it. May it be blessed of you. And we bind the evil one that would try to steal the seed or try to hinder. We, we agree together, corporate. We bind that in the name of Jesus. You will not hinder the word of the Lord going forth and accomplishing what God has sent it forth to do. We bind you in Jesus' name. Let it go forth. Lord, we thank you for it. All right, so I'm just going to kind of flow with the Holy Spirit tonight. I'm going to read the book of Acts chapter 2 real quick, and then we're going to get into my word. I don't have notes tonight printed off because it wasn't really something that I could condense down into an outline. It's You would understand. It's up on the website, so if you want it, you'll see why I did the way I did. You'll understand. All right, on the day of Pentecost, now Jesus had, had died on the cross, raised from the dead. He was seen by many people, and we know the story that when he went down into the underworld and took the keys from death, hell, and the grave from Satan, raised from the dead. There was actually people that were raised from the dead with him. So you can imagine living at that time, and all of a sudden, dead Uncle Charlie is walking up, saying hi to you. And Jesus is the resurrection of the life, and people were raised from the dead. But he, he spent time with different people, and you read about in the Gospels. But at the last sighting, Acts chapter 1, verse 8, Jesus told them, he said, now listen, guys, it's not for you to know all the times and seasons. Now listen to this. This is what he put the focus on. He says, not for you to know the times or seasons, but he said, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you to be my witnesses. So you go into Jerusalem and you tarry there until the promised Holy Spirit comes. You'll be endued with power and then you will go out and be my witness. That's what Jesus put the focus on. In the early church, basically, Jesus was telling them, do not even try to start this thing until the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And we know the story. The Holy Spirit comes in. I'll read it to you. But see, this was the birth of the church. Jesus ascended, and they went into Jerusalem, and they spent that time in prayer and seeking God. And this, when this happened, this was the outbreak of revival that birthed the church. This is the model that the Lord gives us. So when the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all together in one place. Acts chapter 2, verse 2, and suddenly, everybody say suddenly. Are you guys seriously, have you ever felt a suddenly? Because I have. You're, you're not expecting it and the Holy Spirit hits you like out of nowhere. I've had that happen. I mean, and that's what happened right here. It says suddenly there came from heaven a noise like a violent rushing wind. And it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them tongues as of fire, distributing themselves, and they rested on each of them. So picture that. All of a sudden, this wind comes in. And then these tongues of fire start showing up, dancing on people's heads. And they all were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Holy Spirit gave them utterance. How many of you, have, how many of you guys have had a Pentecostal experience where you have been baptized in the Holy Spirit and spoken other tongues. I have. How many of you guys? Got a lot of people? If you don't have that, I'll pray for you tonight and you will, okay? Now, there were Jews living in Jerusalem, devout men from every nation under heaven because there were three times a year they were required to go worship the Lord at the temple. And they had already had Pesach, which is Passover, and now they were at Pentecost. And they were there, and when this broke out around the temple area, they saw this. And 
when the sound occurred in verse 6 the crowd came together and they were bewildered because each one of them was hearing someone speak in his own language and they were amazed and astonished saying why are not all these who are speaking Galileans how is it that we hear them in our own language to which we were born and there was Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia uh, Judea and other places Pontus Asia Egypt and I'm gonna skip all that anyways verse 11 Cretans and Arabs it says we hear them in our own tongue speaking the mighty deeds of God and they were they all continued in amazement and great perplexity saying to one another what does this mean this was a sign and a wonder you know people we know what healings are and we know what miracles healings obviously when somebody is sick and, and they're healed but it can be progressive there's people that we've prayed for that have been touched by God but they were healed as they went so healing can happen over days miracles are things that defy the laws of nature uh, Jesus had this loaf of bread okay it should have only went so far but he blessed it and it distributed out fed thousands of people it was supernatural that's a miracle but signs and wonders are things that really get people's attention are you hearing me signs point people to God and wonders are just that they make people wonder what in the world is that right there okay and there were some people there mocking saying they are full of wine they are drunk there's always going to be the mockers don't let them shake you they don't have a clue and then Peter gets up verse 14 taking a stand with the eleven he raised his voice and declared to them men of Judea and all, all you who live in Jerusalem let this be known to you and give heed to my words these men are not drunk as you think they are this is only the third hour of the day in other words it's nine in the morning come on you know these people aren't drunk he said this is what the prophet Joel said in the last days I will pour out my spirit on all mankind and your sons and daughters will prophesy your old men will see visions your I mean your young men will see visions your old men dream dreams even upon my bond servants both men and women I will in those days pour forth of my spirit and they shall prophesy so we're living in a time of a great outpouring of the Holy Spirit before Jesus comes the Bible says that we would see that and we are seeing it in our day let me give you a couple prophecies there was a prophecy back in the 90s that there would be a revival come to America I'm telling you this because I want you guys to remember this because things don't happen overnight with God they take time okay there's a prophecy that revival would break out in Pensacola and that it would burn like a match head if you ever struck a match it burns real bright at first and they said then it would move 50 miles west <clears throat> and eventually it would shoot up the east coast across the nation shoot up the west coast once it shot the west coast he said eventually all of America would be ablaze in the fires of revival are y'all hearing me and so we have a promise in this nation there's several other prophecies now we know that revival hit in Pensacola in Father's Day in 1995 and burned like a match head okay I was there for a lot of it it was amazing to say the least and we know that revival has moved 50 miles west with the Bay of the Holy Spirit revival that broke out and we know that there's revivals that are going on right now all across this nation there's, there's another completely different revival I've shared with you guys in Pensacola but God is moving powerfully in this nation 
And eventually, eventually, all of America will be ablaze in the fires of revival. There was a woman of God, Ruth Ward Heflin, and before she died, she was uh, in Jerusalem, and she was praying. And God, she was a very pro prophetic woman. She was actually the one that helped John Paul Jackson get going in the ministry. But anyway, she, she was caught up in a vision, and she saw all of America, and she saw that eventually all of America would be ablaze in the fires of revival. And she saw that there was these platforms, really deep platforms, and ambulances and other people were backing up to these places where God was moving, and people were being carried over to the revivals because there were so many notable miracles going on. Think about that. And people were being healed. And she said there was major news networks that had come out to see the revival and see people getting healed. And she said she was seeing all of America blaze in the fires of revival. And she said this, when the revival is full blaze, it's fully ignited across all of America, she said eventually Dallas would be the hub of that revival. I'm telling you all this to stir your faith tonight for a move of God. There was also a prophecy back during the Azusa Street Revival. And Brother Zach has done a tremendous job teaching on these revivals, and it really stirs you, doesn't it, hearing about how God moved. I mean, at Azusa Street, people were, actually the police, I'm sorry, the fire department was called on a number of occasions because there was a pillar of fire that people saw over Azusa Street. And these weren't Christians. These were heathen that thought there was a literal fire. And they had the fire department come out and to come to find out, and they could see it. There was a fire there, but it was, it was the Holy Spirit. And inside of Azusa Street, they had revival night and day. I mean, William Seymour lived there, and it was so strong that the glory of God was there so strong that there was literally like a cloud of God's presence that resided in there that you could see. And they said when everybody would start worshiping in the Spirit, that cloud would come up off the ground. It would fill the place, and they would be you know where you couldn't really see too well in front of you because of the cloud but they said the cloud would move on its own because usually if there's smoke and you do like this the smoke will dissipate and they said this the cloud would do whatever it wanted to do you know no matter what they tried it and they said that in that cloud there was like a glowing of god's presence isn't that awesome so in azusa street there was tremendous healings and miracles um i can't get into all of it brother zach has a teaching on it on our website but there was people that, that saw incredible, incredible miracles. There was uh, one case where an arm was completely missing, and right there in front of everybody there, the arm grew completely out, normal like the other arm, just to give you one example. Amaz amazing miracles. And around, that started in 1905 or so in 1910, William Seymour, along with others, and they didn't know that, that each other was prophesying this, they began to prophesy that in around 100 years, there would be a revival like unto Azusa, but even greater. And it would not be confined to one location. Think about that. In around 100 years, there would be a revival like unto Azusa, but it would be greater, and it would not be confined to one location. So we're living in a time that is very, very prophetic. There's people that I trust and I believe that they hear from God that are feeling that there's that we're right on the the cusp of seeing a third great awakening and i think by the time i'm done with this sermon today you'll understand that you can't go by the way it looks in society because revivals in times past have broken out when things look the worst okay so you can't go by the way things look in the natural 
And besides, there's no faith in that anyway. If you're the type that's always looking at the natural to determine what you're going to believe, you're going to live a frustrated life in God. You've got to learn how to get your eyes on the Lord and trust him. But let's open it like this. How many of you in this place have seen with your eyes a powerful miracle of some kind? I have. If you've been around here very long, you've probably seen something. Wave at me. How many of you guys have seen a powerful miracle? There's actually a pretty neat miracle that we have recorded somewhere of Melissa's leg growing out. Yeah, she's famous. She's a YouTube celebrity over that leg growing out. And anyway, but we, we've seen some, some miracles here and there. How many of you guys, I'm saying this for a reason, but how many of you have seen with your eyes in person a dead person raised from the dead? I have not seen it in person. I've seen it on video, but I've not seen it in person. Okay? How many of you have seen with your eyes a demon cast out of somebody? Several people. <laughs> if you've been in River of Life for long at all, you've seen. Okay? That's great. I've kind of preached in the choir a little bit, but I'm making a point in that a lot of people in this nation cannot say that if you go to most places and say how many have seen a bona fide miracle they're like well I've never seen how many have seen a demon come out of something no I've never seen that most people cannot say that and so I'm trying to make a point with this when you have an absence of book of Acts Christianity there's there's a real problem that starts coming up and one of the things that concerns me is this did you know when Jesus was here and he would go and minister places. Did you know that there was a place he went to in his hometown of Nazareth where it says in the Bible, and you can look this up because you probably won't believe me, it says he could not with a C. Not that he would not. He could not do many miracles in Nazareth because of their lack of faith. Could not with a C. You can look it up for yourself. I was surprised about that because I thought, well, he can do whatever he wants. But he was limited by their lack of faith. And there was another place where great miracles had taken place and Jesus stood up and he rebuked that city. He said, woe to you. It will be better on, on the day of judgment for Sodom and Gomorrah than you. Because if the signs and wonders had happened in Sodom that happened in you, they would have repented in sackcloth and ashes. And so Jesus, I want you to think about this for a moment. Jesus equated unbelief as being worse for somebody on judgment day than the homosexuality and the sexual perversions of Sodom let, let that one sink in just for a minute and so what you have is you have now a culture in America that I'm really praying for God's grace about this because when around you people are expecting to not see a miracle We've had to help people on the streets. I mean, we've prayed for people. Uh, well, and, and they really genuinely, it's like they're, they're expecting they're not going to be healed. It's like, no, that's not the way it works. We're going to pray for you again. God's going to touch you. And all of a sudden, the pain leaves, and they, they freak out. But here's the thing. There's, there's a culture of unbelief that concerns me about the move of God whether it's healings or deliverances or revival or whatever supernatural 
And the early church, they had a lot of faith because they had walked with Jesus and everywhere Jesus went, all this is always just exploding around them. So whenever it came time, Jesus told them, I'm going to the Father. Basically, he told them, you go do what you saw me do. They had a lot of faith because that's what they grew up around. And I have a feeling some of our young people that's grown up around revival will have a lot of faith because that's what they're used to. But by and large, there's a culture out there that does not believe and expect for Book of Acts Christianity. And so I'm praying, and I'd appreciate y'all praying with me about this, I'm really praying and asking for God's grace that he would help us, that, that river of life, even though there may be a culture around of unbelief, that we would still be able to have the faith, you know, to believe him for Book of Acts Christianity. And so here's what happens. Let me give you a few things. When people have never seen a miracle, their reaction tends to be skeptical. You ever notice that? There's a miracle that broke out. I'll give you one example. Um, in the Bay of the Holy Spirit revival that was quite famous, where Delia Knox was crippled. She was crippled for many years. She was a pastor's wife. And this was very documented because her and her husband would be on TBN and stuff. I mean, everybody knew the woman was hit by a drunk driver. Her spine was severed. She was crippled in her legs. That's just the way it was. It was that way for 20 years. Everybody knew it. And when she stood up and started walking in that revival, everybody knew that that was an amazing miracle because there was no way that was possible in the natural. But yet there were people outside of the revival that were so skeptical. And you just have to wonder, what's it going to take for some people? It's not like it gets a lot louder than that. You understand? I mean, what's it going to take? I think that that's why Jesus was, was angry and he's, woe to you, Chorazin, woe to you, Bethsaida. It'd be far better on Judgment Day for Sodom and Gomorrah than you. I think there was an anger because all these signs and wonders had broken out and people did not believe. They didn't repent. They didn't, and it, I'm concerned for some people out there. They're so skeptical about the move of God. Well, is it really real? I think all that's fake. I think it's a bunch of nonsense. There's a difference between having questions about something. That's okay. But there's a big difference between having questions rather than the, the flip side would be having like a hardened unbelief within you. Like a hard heart and a hardened unbelief that sets you up against where you, you don't want to believe the things of God. You don't want to believe the supernatural. That's a scary place to be. And pretty soon what happens is, is that people don't want the supernatural. They don't want revival. They don't want these things. They, they're skeptical and they want religion. And pretty soon it's what the apostle Paul warned about when he said they have a form of godliness, but they deny the power. Now, you know what the Bible says after that? It says avoid such people. Did you know it says that? I read back over that and thought, man, that's pretty strong words there to avoid those kind of people. But they have a form of Christianity. They have something that they go through this ritual every week, but they don't have the power. And I feel for some of the people there because, of course, they have a hard time believing because even their leadership doesn't believe. I remember going to 
meetings with, with David Hogan, and he's well known for the miracles. I love, I love Brother David. He's got, he's got a John Wayne personality, man, let me tell you. Y'all know what I'm talking about. But the guy is really a sweet guy deep down, and he's a very anointed man of God. But I remember seeing people that were battling sickness that would drive a lot of miles to be in the meeting. And it makes me sad because I've also seen people, even though God's moving, that they won't make the effort to go to the house of God and get prayer, even though they're battling a sickness. That's sad. We should be at a place. Now, amen, this is true. The Bible promises if the elders anoint with oil, the prayer of faith will bring healing to the sick. We should, the first thought to me when something goes on is I'm looking to God. That's my first thought. I'm going to look to God. And if I pray and my wife pray and we're not seeing a breakthrough, I'll get these guys, the elders, I'll come to church and stand on that promise, have them pray over me. That's number one. That's not like way down my list of things I'm going to do. Like, well, I'm going to go to the doctor, I'm going to do this, I'm going to take this pill, I'm going to try this herb, I'm going to do this and this. If none of that works, then as a dead last resort, then I will look to God if everything else fails. I don't do it that way. Mine's the exact opposite. I look to God first. And it's because of a lack of revival that people have a lack of faith like that. You can't blame them. You can't be mad at them because they're, they're in a culture of unbelief all around them. And so some people have had, let me, let me give you another scenario. Because of a lack of the move of God, a lack of the miraculous, some people have had such a teeny tiny little touch of God, but they think it's the whole enchilada. I mean, I got it all. I mean, and they've had this teeny tiny little bitty touch of God. And they need to go back and look at church history and see how God has really moved. And it's like when you even look in the Bible in the book of Acts, you see Peter's shadow healing the sick. And they're thinking because they cried in a service. That, and it's like, you know, okay, I'm glad God touched you, man. But there's more. There's more than that, okay? It's like, is our shadows healing the sick yet? Is there, it, seriously, why are, why are any of us, why are any of us dumbing it down? If we really believe God's word, then we should be believing that the shadows will be healing the sick. We really should. Should we not? Am I not telling the truth? Should we not stop dumbing it down and stop making excuses for the way things are and get on our face in prayer and fasting and say, God, touch us again. You haven't changed. You're not the problem in this equation. The third point I want to make is this. When the acts of God, the supernatural move of God, becomes just a memory, it will cause a lack of the fear of God. Have you noticed that? You know, my mother was just telling me about talking to different people in, the, in her benevolence ministry, Touching Hearts, and, and she's talked to the Methodist. And those that are older you know, can tell you, you know, I believe that uh, it might've been my dad tell me, but somebody was telling me that the, the older Methodist, that they would talk about the revival, the move of God that was going on in their church. There was a time when the Methodist church, not that long ago, back in the fifties, things like that, where they had Holy Spirit revival. And, and really their denomination was originally birthed in the fires of revival with Wesley. And you guys know all this. All right. So what happened it became a memory they talk about it but it's something that was and not is god doesn't operate like that 
God is an all-consuming fire. How many knows that God being an all-consuming fire, it's not like God's fire just dies one day. If the fire of God goes out, it's not because God has a fire problem. Okay? It's because we have allowed the fire to go out. I remember I, I love ministering to the younger generation and I love ministering to non-church people, I think the most, because they don't have a religious resistance against the move of God. They haven't been taught against it. And I remember one time God had opened a door for me to minister to this home for troubled teens. And there was maybe 40 to 80 of them somewhere in there. They had them split into two homes, but man, they came from every type of background you can imagine. They, they came out of hardcore witchcraft, some of them. They came out of gangs, some of them. And I mean, it was every ethnic background, every type of religious background. There would be a Catholic, a Pentecostal, a Baptist, a Methodist, an atheist, a witch, all across the board. I mean, it was everything you can imagine. And it was, it was crazy. I mean, they were all age groups. There'd be one that's 12 and one that's 18, you know. And so... I was in there preaching, but they didn't have, except for a few of them, they did not have a, a resistance against the move of God. And as I preached the word, the Holy Spirit would come, they would come down and get saved and cry, and God was really touching them. And then we just started praying for people and encouraging them to just receive by faith, and they, they weren't taught against it. And I would read it out of the Bible, and they just simply just believed it. What would it be like if the whole church could be childlike and just read the Bible and just believe what it says. And they did. They were, they were young and they just simply believed. And so the power of God would explode in that place. Because of that reason, they were humble and they just believed. And I could tell you story after story of, of young people that, that have no Pentecostal background whatsoever that were thrown in the air speaking in tongues, um, demons coming out of some people um, I have a funny story I'll tell you about that but there was another one that major healings I mean stuff incurable diseases things that they would come back to me and, and crying that they were totally healed and it was because they just simply believed I remember this one time this was this was kind of, it was a funny story because of the other people but anyway I was praying for people and they were getting hit by the power of God's touching people and I get to this girl and it, I could feel the resistance. I knew something was spiritually off. And I was praying for her, and she took out running out of the room. It was a demon. Anyway, so they brought her back. And I went back. This time I was like, in Jesus' name, I break it. And she just flying back and was manifest this demon. And, I, you know, I had all these people around me, you know. And I was, all right, let's drive this thing out. All right, I'm ready to go. And all of a sudden, it was like, you guys ever seen those westerns where, you know, you hear... It's really quiet, and there's like this tumbleweed that comes, and, and you hear like the noise, and all of a sudden you realize I'm by myself. I was sitting there by my, I'm like, where'd everybody go? And I turned around, and everybody had went to the back, and they were all standing there watching. What's Brother Scott going to do? You know? I was like, y'all are supposed to be helping me with this, standing with me in faith. But the, the demons came out, amen, and uh, because Jesus is more powerful 
than the devil. I heard uh, Bill Schneblin made me laugh the other day. He's got a, a ministry where he was deeply involved in the occult, really, really deep, more than anybody I've ever heard of. And now he's a Christian preacher, praise God. And it's a really cool testimony, but he was saying, um, he just made this statement. He said, you know, he said, there really have been several people that have tried to kill me. But he said, the problem is, is that my daddy can beat up their daddy. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so let me skip back to revival. Yep. Yeah, I like that. All right, so the closest biblical word that we have for revival is chaya. Okay, that's how you say it in the Hebrew. It's C-H-A-Y-A-H, chaya. And it's the Hebrew, Hebrew word meaning to live. Now listen to this description, to live, to make alive, to nourish up, to preserve, to quicken, to recover, to repair, to restore, to be whole. But it implies like dead, now made alive. All right, it was translated keep alive and preserve nine times. And I could read all this, it's in the notes, to save, to restore, to recover, to repair. But listen to this, this is interesting. The first four times this word is used, revived in the King James Version, all deal with the increasing levels of it starts out at a certain level of death, but you'll notice it goes all the way down to Elisha, who was dead for some time, but there was a revival. Let me give you the example. It started with Jacob as an old man. He thought Joseph was gone forever, and he was in this dark place. You guys remember reading that? He was real depressed. He was in a dark place, and it said that they told Jacob that Joseph and the that Joseph was alive and the spirit of Jacob his father was revived okay so that's one level and then there was another level down where Samson remember he had fought this battle and he was so thirsty that he really thought he was going to die and the Lord gave him some water to drink and he was revived okay then the next level was Elijah now this is another level going down a level of death where Elijah, remember the woman that had a nearly dead child and Elijah prayed, or it was a dead child, and Elijah prayed and the child was raised from the dead. Remember that? All right, then the fourth one, this is even a greater level of death because Elisha's bones, you know, if the child just died and was raised, but Elisha was dead a long time. And his bones were in a tomb and there were some raiders that had thrown a dead man into Elisha's tomb. And when the dead man hit Elisha's bones, he was raised from the dead. That's a neat story in the Bible. And so this, the, the word there for revive brought back from the dead. That's what revival means. Listen to Habakkuk says, Lord, I've heard the report about you and I fear. Oh, Lord, revive your work in the midst of of the years how many feel that way lord do it again that's what he's saying lord we've heard of your works and your wonders in times past we're asking you do it again that's what habakkuk was saying charles finney probably one of the greatest revivalists that have ever lived in my opinion felt that revival was not a happen chance nor was it a difficult thing but let me tell you something revival is not a happen chance and people just think, well, God just, you know, that all of a sudden, just something, just God decided, I'm just going to drop it right there. It's just going to explode randomly. It doesn't happen like that. Somebody was praying. 
Y'all hearing me? Somebody got a hold of God in prayer and God came down. But I promise you, it is never just random happen chance. And Finney said, no, no, it's not happen chance. He said, and listen to what Finney said, it's not a difficult thing. See, a lot of us have looked at revival like, oh, Lord, this is going to be a difficult one, but we're asking you to, you know, and it, Charles Finney's saying, no, 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 it's not a difficult thing. He said, if you plant wheat in a wheat field and wait for it to grow, that's not hard. Is it hard? He's saying, you know, you plant the wheat and you just sit back and watch it grow. And that's the way he felt revival was. He felt like if you sow in prayer and you believe, God will come. And he's right. And his life proved it. I'm going somewhere with this. I mean, you guys want to understand a little bit about an open heaven tonight. I'm going to get to that in just a moment. All right. In every major revival in the Old Testament, remember this. They confessed their sins, the sins of their fathers, and the sins of the nation. Those three things. What opened up the revivals was they confessed their sin. They confessed the sins of the fathers and they confessed the sins of the nation. That's a big deal with God. And that is what broke open revival. Dr. Wilbur Smith notes seven outstanding revivals in the Old Testament. There was Jacob's household. There was a revival that took place under King Asa or in uh, Jehoash and Hezekiah and several others, Josiah, I've got all these notes here, I'll put them up. But there were seven major revivals that broke out in the Old Testament. But Smith summarized these nine characteristics. Listen to this, number one, this should encourage you, they occurred in a day of deep moral darkness and national depression. You know what, God comes in the darkest times. You know, grace abounds where sin abounds. Remember, grace much more abounds. And I'm telling you, people look at something like America and say, well, you know, it's in some ways it's at an all-time low, but that is just exactly in history when God shows up with his great power and changes things. So don't get discouraged when things look so dark and bleak in the natural. Some of you, you look at your lost loved ones and it seems like you pray for them and everything goes worse because now the devil's mad. Because now you're sticking a stick in his little hornet's nest and doing like that. So he's mad. But here's the thing. You keep praying, and I promise you God will show up and break through that. Okay? But number two, and this is important. They began in the heart of one consecrated servant of God who became the energizing power behind it. The agent used of God to help quicken and lead the nation back to God. It's interesting. I heard John Kilpatrick say this, and it really stayed with me. He made this statement. He said this. He said, God does not really, truly send revival to a group of people like a whole church or a whole city. He says, in actuality, God sends revival to an individual that he can trust. And he can put a mantle on that person. And he said, then there'll be people around that person that will help him, but he's got to find somebody he can trust. And in the Bible and historically, that's the way it's always been because if God was to send revival on a large group of people they would all start vying for what the way it needs to be and it would be chaotic so God is looking for people that he can put a mantle on them and baptize them in fire and use somebody to bring revival amen 
Number three, each revival rested on the word of God and most were the result of preaching and proclaiming God's word with power. Did you know historically, when the word of God has been preached under a mighty anointing, people were gripped with the fear of God, they were convicted and they were brought to repentance. Just like when Peter got up and preached on the day of Pentecost, the people that heard him preach, it says that they were cut to the heart. The preaching of the word was under such an anointing that they were cut to the heart. And whenever God convicted them, their heart was cut like that. It was a conviction of the Spirit of God. Then they said to Peter, brother, what must we do? But it was the conviction of the Holy Spirit as Peter preached the word. So when you preach the word under a mighty anointing, it breaks through and brings revival. Number four, all resulted in a return to the worship of the Lord. Remember when Elijah, the prophets of Baal, they were worshiping false gods, but when revival fell, they all fell on their face and started worshiping God, the one true God. Number five, each witnessed the destruction of their idols. How many knows when God comes down, that's number one priority right there. Idols are going to have to come down. Amen? Whatever that is, false God worship or if it's things in people's lives that are idols. But God will deal with idols right off the bat. Number six, in each revival, there was recorded a great separation from sin, a great repentance, a deep consecration in revival. People really, truly get right with God. Number seven, in each revival of the Old Testament, blood sacrifices were offered. The blood was very pronounced. I'm going to tell you, in revival, you'll hear a lot about the blood of Jesus You'll hear it talked about, you'll hear it sung about, you'll hear it preached about, and you'll, the altar calls is all about being washed in the blood of Jesus, and you'll talk, it's just the blood, the blood, the blood, because the blood is what makes people holy and gets people into God's presence, and we have to have the blood, and it concerns me because, you know what, just to sidetrack for a moment, a lot of churches don't want to talk about the blood anymore, but I'm going to tell you, you can't get to heaven without the blood. Don't be ashamed of the blood of Jesus. But the blood has a lot to do with revival. Number eight, almost all recorded revivals show a restoration of great joy and gladness. People went from a dark place to a joyful place. And number nine, after revival, it was followed by a period of great national prosperity as God's blessings were poured out. Isn't that awesome? So once revival truly takes place, the people in that area will never be the same. They just won't be because heaven came down and shook that region. They, they just won't be the same. But what concerns me, and this is what I see in America. I was reading the book of Judges, and it said that there was um, a time, you know, we know Moses died and Joshua took over, but Joshua and those that were with him in leadership eventually died. And it says that there was a generation that came up after them that did not know the Lord. And they did what was right in their own eyes. And that's what I see right now in America is that there was a generation of the past that saw a great move of God, but there's a generation coming up that does not know the Lord and does not know about these things, and they're doing what's right in their own eyes. Think about that for a minute, doing what's right in your own eyes. Everybody's just doing their own thing and saying that it's righteousness right with God. Now, here's another interesting point. A Greek equivalent to that word is anazeo. Anna Anna but you know what's interesting? Revival is not really talked about in the New Testament. You know why? Because we're not supposed to need it. 
You're, when the book of Acts ended, it didn't end. You know, we're not supposed to be at a place where we're spiritually dead in Christ having to be raised. It's just not supposed to be there. And so we have to look a lot of times at the Old Testament to draw revelation about these things. Bottom line is when true revival breaks out, it is a raising back to life and a restoration of what is lost. God brings life back to the church. So here's the question. What brings revival? Jonathan Edwards' son-in-law, David Brainer, was dying. He had a terminal illness. And he prayed in the snow until it melted around him and it was stained by his own blood because he was very sick. But he was in deep intercession for the Indians. Before he died, though, he lived to see the move of God. And he described the revival that broke out because of his prayers. He prayed and he, and he cried out to God earnestly. And God came down. And this is what he wrote as God poured out his spirit among the Indians. The power of God seemed to descend on the assembly like a rushing mighty wind. Where have we heard that before? When the, with an astonishing in energy bore down all before it, I stood amazed at the influence that seized the whole audience almost universally and could compare it to nothing more than an irresistible force of a mighty torrent. All, almost all persons of all ages were bowed down with concern together and scarce one of them able to withstand the shock of the astonishing operation. In other words, God's power came down in that place. So here's what brings revival. People say, what, what brings revival? Prayer. But I'm not talking about the type of prayer that you probably think as soon as I say that. I'm not talking about standing in a circle and you just got done singing Kumbaya or whatever. And you say, Lord, you know, we ask you to come down because our, our city's in trouble. Just, you know, I'm not talking about that type of prayer. The, the, the Bible talks about the effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man. It is from your gut it is a groan, it is a travail, it is an intercession that Paul described, I'm in the pains of childbirth until Christ be formed in you, okay? It is a groaning and a deep travailing that is deeper than words, and a lot of times, um, that's why you'll hear the intercessors get under the weight of that, because it is in those times of that deep intercession, deep is calling to deep. Your spirit, your inner man is, is calling unto the deep of God, and it, it's an intercession the Bible describes in Romans 8 as, um, remember it talks about the Spirit prays through us. We don't know how to pray, but the Spirit makes groans and intercession through us. And that's what's going on. There's a deep, deep intercession, a crying out to God. The other type of prayer out of your head is not going to get the job done. It's going to have to be that deep groaning prayer where you get the heart of God and you touch God's heart because you're so hungry for him, you're so desperate for him that from your innermost being you're crying out, that's the type of prayer that brings revival. That's what David Brainerd was doing. He was at the point of death. He had worked so hard and labored to see so little and he was desperate. And he was down and he got under the weight of that burden and he began to groan and travail for those Indians. And he was, he was dying physically and the snow was melting around him. His blood was there, but he was calling out to God and God heard his prayer. 
and the Spirit of God fell on those Indians and God allowed David to live long enough to see the great revival that he prayed would take place. That is what brings revival. So let me give you a story about that at Brownsville. Pastor Kilpatrick said that, that and the reason why I'm sharing some about Brownsville is because that's where it began, but all of America is going to be ablaze in the fires of revival. It's working its way through. And he was saying that there was something deep within him calling out to the deep of God, and he'd be there in the middle of the night just groaning and travailing in the spirit. But also, he said the people, they had, they had turned Sunday nights into prayer meeting, and they would take communion, and they would pray. And they had banners up where people could just simply go to different areas and pray about different things. But he said the most groaning and travailing that you heard was around the revival banner. He said you could hear weeping and wailing and people's, their, their hands were hitting the ground. They were crying out to God. They were desperate for revival. And he said even though we all know revival broke out on Father's Day in 95, it was conceived around the prayer banner as people were crying out to God in intercession. So it is akin to giving birth. It, it is conceived in prayer. And then as you keep interceding and keep crying out to God and keep pressing in, it will give birth to the revival. Is this making sense? Because I don't think a lot of places want revival. And I don't think a lot of places are willing to pay the price for it. And I was very blessed because when I was young in the Lord, I so, I'm so thankful. I actually had kind of a bad experience at this church. It was very religious. But... There, the, I believe the reason God sent me there, I was very young. I was 19, 20 years old. I was still working through a lot of this stuff in my personal life as well. But while I was there, they had me working some with the youth. But there was these two elderly women that, for whatever reason, I felt a connection. And they, they um, would spend a lot of time with me in prayer. I mean, when I'm talking a lot of time. I spent a lot of time up there in prayer. I wanted, I had, a, God put a hunger in me for the move of God. And they would come up there and pray, and I would see them pray a lot like my daughter prays and, and Sarah and others that are intercessors. And I would see them really get under the weight, and they would intercede and travail in the Spirit. They was wailing in the Spirit. But I, I would see with my eyes that the very things they were praying about, nobody knew about it. They were praying about it by themselves in the church when nobody was around at little bitty prayer meetings. And it was really weird because even though these were all older people that knew, see, they were around when God moved back in the day so they knew they were carrying the revival of times past and they and they were passing it on to me but here I was very young but I was watching how they would pray and then I would see what they prayed break out in the church and I can't tell you how much that impacted me because I knew as, as, as much of a man or woman of God that you know the pastor was and others I knew that I knew where it started I saw it myself and I said, wait a second. There's a reason the Bible says my house will be a house of prayer. That's the priority. And I knew that they knew how to pray. And so they were teaching me how to pray. And let me tell you something. Prayer is the key. You know, people asked Oral Roberts what was the key. And he said, you know, loving people. But I'm going to tell you something. They saw Oral. Whenever those uh, great healing revivals would take place, and, and they, they recorded a time where all these people had written down their prayer request and given them there and oral had gathered them all up and they were all on this table and they were shocked they were expecting oral just to join hands with everybody and pray and oral climbs up on top of the the prayer request and gathers them unto himself and he begins to groan and travail and intercede and weep 
And you wonder why the miracles broke out? It was conceived in prayer. And then you see the result of it in the meeting. So the question is, are people willing to truly pay a price for revival? Okay, so that's how revival comes. And I remember those older women told me, they said, you know, they said a lot of these, and they, back then they were talking about the older Pentecostal churches. I'm not sure where, where churches are now, honestly. But anyway, back then they were saying, you know, a lot of these churches know how to have revival. They're just too lazy to pray. Hello. I don't know that they do know how today. I'm serious. I don't know what's happened, but you got supposed Pentecostal churches that don't even speak in tongues. I mean, hello. Anyway, I believe before Jesus comes, let me give you a little bit about an open heaven tonight. But when, before Jesus comes, we're going to see the greatest revival the world's ever seen. We're already seeing it. And the spirit of Elijah always precedes the coming of the Lord. The Bible says the spirit of Elijah was on John the Baptist. He went in the power of Elijah. And what marked John the Baptist was this. When he preached, there was a tremendous conviction on his preaching. There was a tremendous call to repentance. People felt drawn to get right with God. There was a prophetic edge to his preaching. And of course, we know that the spirit of Elijah has to do with the sevenfold manifestation of the Lord, which is the spirit of the Lord, the spirit of wisdom, revelation, counsel, might, knowledge, and the fear of the Lord. I'm going to tell you, it says, and in the fear of the Lord, Jesus will delight in the fear of the Lord. You see, that's what one of the main things that's lacking right now is the, fear, the holy reverential fear of God. And that's a big part of revival, that there's a fear of God that comes back into the church. Number two, uh, they'll come, I believe this revival will come in the spirit of Elijah. Number two, a strong conviction of the Holy Spirit that will draw in the masses. You saw under John the Baptist, you saw that people were convicted, but yet they were drawn toward him to get right. You see what I'm saying? It was supernatural. There's no way the guy with some, you know, locust leg hanging off his beard, okay, the wild-eyed guy out there in the desert, you know what I'm saying? There wasn't anything about him that, that made people want to travel, you know, far and wide. It was something where God was drawing people. You know, you, I read about the stories at Brownsville, these crazy people. You remember Pastor talking about the snake, the guy, that, the lady? Anyway, listen, this lady comes up to Pastor Kilpa and says, you won't believe the people that are in line to get in church out here. I said, man, they're a bunch of heathen. I mean, real heathen. And Pastor Kilpa says, well, praise God. You know, they'll come in and get saved tonight. You know? And she said, no, you don't understand. This one guy, I'm telling you, he's a snake or something. He, I'm telling you, he's a snake. Look at his eyes. He looks just like a snake. And she said, I asked him, I said, sir, what are you doing here? And he said, well, he said, I was uh, doing some drugs with my friends. And um, he said, I heard a voice tell me to go to Pensacola and I'll meet you there. You know what? Somebody was praying for Snake Man. You know what I'm saying? There, I promise you, Snake Man had him a grandma. That y'all hear me? I'm telling you, he had him a grandma that was praying. Anyway, and, and there he was between hits, you know, and he's, the, some voice he's here, and he decides, all right, he says, I'm going to go to Pensacola. And he said, so that's why I'm here in the line, lady. And the lady said, well, 
what do you think's going to happen to you when you go in tonight to the church? And he's like, lady, I'm going to meet the guy behind the voice. And Snake Man slid right into home that night and got saved. All right. But you can't tell me that Snake Man just up and decided something drew him. You understand what I'm saying? Something. He didn't just wake up one day and think, well, I'm going to go all the way to Pensacola and go to church. No, something was drawing him. But pointing people to Christ, and here's another point, number four, pointing people to Christ to get their eyes off of man and off of the leaders. You remember John, John the Baptist said, whenever he baptized Jesus, he said, when, as soon as people were coming to him, and he had disciples, but he said, look, there is the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. And he encouraged his disciples to go follow Jesus. And he said this, I must now decrease, he must increase. In other words, John knew how to function in the power of God to get people ready for Jesus, but he also knew how to not take the glory and just give it back to Jesus and let people follow Jesus. And that's another mark of revival, I believe, will be in these last days. Number five, repentance and consecration, preparing a bride for Christ's coming, which I talked about last week. Number six, Possibly persecution and martyrdom for standing for the truth. John the Baptist was martyred. And we're living in a time where there's going to be a rise of persecution. And it may not, you know, I know nobody, nobody wants to suffer. But I'll tell you that the church is marked through history with great suffering. That's just part of Christianity. And also it purifies the people of God. Because all the fake hypocrites and all that, they, they're not going to hang around. I mean, they're gone. They're out the door, man. They're, they're not going to hang around. So it purifies the church when there's great persecution because only the real deal is going to stick around. And number seven, it will prepare the way for Christ's coming. So let me close with an open heaven. This is what they saw in Azusa. They kept having revival night after night after night after night. It was said about Azusa that they would open the doors and everybody would rush in but as they rushed in, the power of God was so strong that they would all just fall under the power and be piled up in a pile. You remember them telling that story about people got off the train and the train was several blocks down from the revival. And as soon as they got off the, the train, the power of God was so strong from that revival that people were collapsing under the power at the train. And they could literally see at times, not all the time, but they could see a pillar of fire over that place. And the glory cloud was there. Tremendous miracles. But they saw what it was was an open heaven. So as you pray, the type of praying I'm talking about where people, remember the first point I said, they confess their sins, the sins of their fathers, and the sins of the nation. And they, as they did that, it brought cleansing. And then you have the type of praying where it's travailing and interceding. I mean, deep intercession that the combination of truly repenting of your sin and now a deep intercession will purge the skies it will open the heavens so what is an open heaven you gotta understand that satan's dominion right now is in what's called the second heaven that's overhead god dwells in the third heaven i don't have time to go into all that look it up remember the apostle paul said i was caught up to the third heaven but anyway in the second heaven area between us and God, Satan tries to put principalities and powers, wickedness in the heavenlies, that there's a warfare going on. But when a group of people will really, truly repent of their sin, I mean, really get real with God, 
Lord, and it's deep, I'm serious, I really want to be cleansed and made holy before you. And they confess the sins of their ancestors and they confess the sins of the region. And then they begin to travail and intercede. Satan's kingdom cannot stay over that. It parts the sky overhead. And it will create an open heaven over a region. And where there's an open heaven, there's no hindrance, there's no resistance. The presence of God will come down in an awesome way. And that's where you'll see angels ascending and descending. Let me show it to you in the Bible. Jacob, he left Beersheba. This is uh, Genesis 28, verse 10. And he came to a certain place and stayed there overnight because the sun was to set. Taking one of the stones of the place, he put it under his head as a pillow. I always make a joke there because Jacob, Jacob was a true outdoorsman. Okay, he, he slept with a pillow as, as a rock. So, I mean, that's... That's pretty rugged right there. Anyway, so, and he dreamed that there was a ladder set up on the earth and the top of it reached to the heaven and there were angels of God ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood over and beside him and said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac, and I will give to you and your descendants the land on which you're lying and your offspring will be countless. And then skip down to verse 16. And Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not even know it. He was afraid and said, How to be feared and revered is this place. This is none other than the house of God and a gateway to heaven. But see, what it, I didn't get to is this. Abraham had went through there previously and had built an altar to God there. And so Abraham had prayed there. There was blood that was applied there. And so, yeah, there was an open heaven there. And Jacob didn't mean to, but he stumbled upon a place that his grandfather had already prayed, and there was an open heaven there. Let me show you two more. Jesus said to Nathanael, I saw you under the tree. Remember that? And Nathanael said, how do you know me? But he said this. He said, John 1, verse 51, very truly I tell you, Nathanael, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Jesus walked under an open heaven and there was angels ascending and descending just like I read about on Jacob's ladder, okay? And then the last example, Deuteronomy 28 verse 12, the Lord said, if you will obey my word, that was the whole point of Deuteronomy 28, if you will obey my word, I will bless you. In verse 12, one of the blessings, he said, the Lord will open to you his good treasury, the heavens. He'll give you an open heaven to send rain on your land and seas and bless all the works of your hands and you will lend to nations and borrow from none. And then verse 23, if you disobey my word, in other words, you're living in sin. Now this is, this is rough, right? He said the heaven which is over your head will be bronze and the earth that is under you will be iron and the Lord will make the rain of the land to be like powder and dust. That's the opposite of revival right there where you have a bronze heaven that's where it's difficult to pray there's places that have a bronze heaven it's oppressed i've been places i've been in churches where it's oppressed it's hard to pray it's hard to worship it's hard to feel god's presence and not only is the heavens brass but the earth is iron because they go out to do stuff for the lord and it's spiritually unfruitful and dead <coughs> And it's like there's no longer rain coming down. It's just dry powder and dust. It's sterile. We want an open heaven. Amen. 
And I'm telling you, there's, there is an open heaven. And we're going to continue to see an open heaven. And God, God said in the, the open heaven, there's angels ascending and descending. And there's his glory, his presence, and there's the, the supernatural. I believe that River of Life is at a turning point from the fall feast time. There's a major turning point that's been in this ministry. There's an increase, and God's going to begin to draw people, and it's going to be tremendous. Let me just read this, and then we're going to pray. Real quick, revival causes humility. You cannot be arrogant in revival because you realize how sinful you really are, but but God will cleanse you and love on you and heal you. And number two, it's absolutely supernatural and God glorifying. Man will be brought down, but God will truly be glorified in revival because it's not man's personality. You know, it's like John the Baptist and that wild-eyed guy out in the woods. I mean, it, it was never him. It was God through him. You know what I'm saying? You, and people aren't going to just talk about like, oh, wow, so-and-so. No, they're going to talk about what God did. God came down. And then the next one is revival is spontaneous. You cannot control revival. When man tries to organize and control revival, revival ends. Are y'all hearing me? You can't control it. Revival is spontaneous. It flows like a river and you've got to move with the river. Finney said the key thing about revival is that man needs to get out of the way. Did y'all get that? I hope you don't miss this. This is good. Finney said that the main thing about revival is, is man has to get out of the way and, and not try to control. God comes down, let God do what he wants to do, the way he wants to do it, and just cooperate with him. Don't try to control it. During revival, there's always religious stumbling blocks, though. People want God to pour out his spirit, but they don't realize what they're asking for. You know, I love my Baptist brothers and sisters. I have nothing negative to say, but I'm just saying they're praying for revival. They have no idea what they're praying for. They think that means that people are just going to come down to the altar and shed a little tear and pray a sinner's prayer and then go home. No, that's kind of like the difference between a little smart car driving down the road and a locomotive coming blasting through here and blowing. Okay, they're, they're thinking revival is going to be their little, their little um, Volkswagen bug coming across there that we can control, we can maintain. No, no, no. When God shows up in true revival, it's going to be a freight train that's going to blow the walls out, okay? And the stumbling block many times, though, is that they, they pray for revival, but then all of a sudden people are speaking in tongues. People are crying. People are shaking. People are falling. People are being thrown in the air. All this crazy stuff's going on. People seeing angels and having dreams. It's like, what's going on? You know, and it's God coming down is what's going on. And you can't control it. So don't let the manifestations get under you know get in the way of you receiving from god another characteristic is the overwhelming revelation of god's holiness you really understand how holy god really is and how sinful man really is in revival there is a life transforming effect that people may have been praying for a breakthrough for 15 20 years and when revival is really truly going on they'll get their breakthrough you see what i'm saying because you're coming into a place where God is at work, and it's supernatural. So, Brother Zach, let's go ahead and kill the recordings and just put on some worship just for a moment. Feel the water stirring tonight. Listen, I really believe 
want everybody just to close your eyes for a moment. I've been prophesying this and there was a seven year period that's over now. And this was a, a thing between me and God, but I'm telling you, this this last fall feast time, the, the we have prophecies about this, but this last fall feast time, something transitioned. It was a major change of season. Things were one way for seven years or so, and now things are gonna completely be a different way. And God is, there's this church plant, but it's not really a normal church. It's not a normal church plant. It's called to be a revival and a move of God. And there's gonna be other revivals too. But there's recently, Tuesday night in particular, there was some kind of a mantling that has come down and there's, there's, God's gonna start drawing people. I'm telling you, he's gonna to begin to draw people that are really hungry for revival in this region. And what's gonna happen next? I'm just telling you, I'm prophesying. God's gonna draw in some people that will be really good, solid Christian people that are faithful in attendance, that are good tithers, that are really, really good Christian people. They're, they're, they love the Lord. He's gonna draw them in and they're gonna help build the house. You know, as soon as we gain some more people like that, we're going to get a bigger place over here. This will probably become Children's Church. And we're, we're going to really go after souls and we're going to go after revival. But I'm telling you, I don't want church as usual. I've already told the Lord and he, and he, he believe me, he wants the same thing. He don't want church as usual. I, I want God to come down and I want to see Book of Acts, Christianity, and that's it. And I've given my life to that because we don't even know how much longer we have with end time events going on like they are. I mean, the Lord could come soon. We, the time is short. God is doing a quick work. And I, I want to give my life to seeing what the early church saw with a supernatural harvest where God comes down and people are drawn in. We're getting out there and witnessing as much as we can, but I mean greater than that. Like on the Isle of Hebrides, where the Spirit of God came down and those people were gripped with the fear of God and they were brought into the kingdom where it's the Lord just sovereignly coming down like that and seeing Book of Acts Christianity with people um, being touched powerfully by God, healed, delivered, set free. And we're seeing those things, but we're seeing the beginning of what's going to be a great outpouring. We're seeing the beginning raindrops right now, just the beginning. And there's a drawing, there's, there's some people out there that were touched maybe back in the 90s and they've been really desperate for revival and they're kind of frustrated because things are not where they need to be in Dallas. But God is going to start drawing them. And I find it kind of odd to me, I've talked to my wife, that we have people that are so faithful to this church that live, you know, in Illinois, for example, and, and, and Karen who lives in Austin and, and, and people in this church like Zach and Wendy that live all the way in Grapevine. And it's like, it's bizarre to me because it's, it's been like there's, a, there's this drawing in the spirit that's so strong. We even had last week a precious couple. They were so sweet. All, come all the way from Oklahoma. And I thought, I thought, well, maybe they came for some other. No, they came to come to church. That's the only reason they came was to come to church. And it's like there's a drawing in the spirit, the power of God. People are hungry and they're crying out. And so God has had this thing in a preparation mode, but it's about to change. And um, last night, you know, Tuesday night, I'm telling you, I felt something just come down in this place new and fresh. 
And so Friday, we had our first service with that. And man, it was powerful. Just broke things open. And, and Brianna was telling me she felt something different, like a different anointing. So if you're hungry tonight, you came in this place. Well, first off, if you need healing or deliverance, we want to pray with you. But I'm going to tell you, I'm hungry for more of the Lord. If you're hungry tonight for a fresh anointing, you want, you want just to be filled with the Spirit of God tonight, just a fresh touch, we want to pray for you. But if God does put you down on his operating table, okay, on the floor, just hang out there with Jesus for a little bit. People in America are always in such a big hurry. You ever notice that? Just hang out with Jesus for a little bit. He puts you down there. Okay, just, just relax and let him do a work in you. Let him, you know, whether it's a cleansing, a healing, or an infilling, or a freedom, whatever he's wanting to do in you, just hang out there until he does it. You know, some people get blasts on the ground and they pop right back up. You know, and it's like, I think you're kind of missing something here, guys. Just hang out, you know. But anyway, Lord, I think I feel I feel tonight there's there's healing and there's there's freedom right now. There's some people here that may need a touch in the way of healing. You may need a deliverance of something. Something is here right now for that. So if that's you tonight, I want to pray for you. I'm going to get some of my altar workers to help me as well. So Pastor Stephen and Brianna can help pray for the younger people tonight. But if you need a fresh touch, we want to pray for you. If you're hungry for more of God, it's been a while since God has really poured out His Spirit. Get in on this tonight. All right? So let's do that. Lord, pour out Your Spirit. Bring breakthroughs tonight in Jesus' name. Release it. We're hungry tonight. We need more of You. Let it come in Jesus' mighty name. All right, so let's stand. And if y'all would, please... Some of you guys know how to do this, Fernando and you guys, if y'all could move the chairs real quick. And <clears throat> my wife and others, if you could help get ready to pray for people with me. Yeah, if you want to dim the lights, that's fine. And we're just going to go after prayer tonight. Just get a fresh touch from the Lord. Let it come, Lord. We're hungry.